Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. We're a church serving the South Central Pennsylvania area with a mission to help as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. If you aren't already, make sure to connect with us online through social media or at grandpoint.church and let us know how God is moving in your life. Now, let's check out this week's message from Pastor Lawrence. Hey, good morning once again. Uh, welcome back to our series called Get, in the, Get to the Point, where we're asking and asking a lot of questions that help you identify what, what we do and why we do what we do here at Grand Point Church. Uh, today, we're going to be asking the question, why do we sing? Uh, why do we sing when we come to worship? What is, what is a song thing all about? I mean, some of you don't even like to sing, right? Maybe some of you can't sing. And it's like, why, why is this so important to us? So we're going to do a little bit of a different format today. We're going to do a dialogue. And who better to do that with than Mr. Songman from Grandpa, right? So some of you know, some of you know Chris. Is that my official title? That's your official okay. title. But some of you know Chris really well. Some of you maybe don't know him. Chris is amazing. I love this guy. Works, uh, we work together to plan worship services, and he does an amazing job with our worship teams. And I just want to, man, introduce yourself, tell a little bit about your family, and then I want you to ask one, answer one question. When did you start singing? Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Chris, and my family consists of my wife, Andrea. Uh, we've been married for 22 years. I had to think about that last night, but <laughs> I made sure I remembered that this morning since we're recording. So... Um, <laughs> 22 years of marriage. Uh, we have three boys. Zane is our oldest, Will is our middle, and Jackson is our youngest. Um, life revolves around soccer most of the time, so they love soccer, and that's, uh, that's kind of what our family looks like. Um, as far as when I started singing, uh, probably when I was a little kid, um, I can remember my sister and I, which my sister was the one standing right here. I don't really admit that often. Um, or claim that very often, but that's her. Uh, we would actually travel to churches with my parents. They would go around and, and sing at different churches, do special music kind of thing. And then when I say travel, I mean like traveled to Orrstown or Roxbury, right? Um, that was kind of the, the extent of our travels. But they would go and do special music, and we would go along, and we'd sing. I don't know if you remember the old Bill, Bill and Gloria Gaither songs that the kids used to, you know, they did a whole kids album. We used to sing that stuff. Um, until I started taking my drum set along, which, as I think back on that, that was weird because they would play to these, you know, sing to these tracks, and then I'd have a drum set and play along, and nice. it was strange. But that's what we did. So I've been singing my whole life. So last night we, we did this, and we went really long. We went about 20 minutes over time, so we're going to kind of keep this a little bit short because we have a whole lot more worship to do yet today. But, Chris, I recently um, read an article, and it said... Uh, when people sing, sound runs through their body, giving rise to emotion and facilitating transformation. It acts as a natural antidepressant by releasing endorphins, the feel-good chemical. Studies have also linked singing with improved mental alertness, memory, and concentration through increased oxygenated blood to the brain. Well, this is better than Prevagen, isn't it? I mean, so... Neuroscientist Andrew Newberg found that changes in the brain during worship make people nicer, more forgiving, and trustful. Chris, are there psychological and physical benefits to singing? I mean, what, what have you found out that, and, and is there more to, to it than that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think we could all agree that music is a very powerful language, 
right? I mean, all of us love music to some extent or another. We all have our certain preferences, um, but music is such a huge part of, of who we are. It, it triggers emotions. It triggers memories even. You know, there's, you guys remember, now this is, this is going back, um, but back when I was a kid, junior high, we did these things called mixtapes. You know, so you liked a girl, and you put a bunch of so- songs on a tape for those young people. That's a little cassette tape that they don't make anymore. It was before even CDs. So you'd make these tapes, then you'd give it to the girl that you like, and it was supposed to trigger all these emotions in her, right? The, all these love songs. So did you do that? Did you do that? Maybe. I just never, <laughs> the oh. problem was it never worked for me. So <laughs> oh, Wrong song. But, yeah, wrong songs. Um, but no, music is such a, a powerful thing, and it triggers emotions. It, and the other thing about singing um, is it engages our entire being, uh, body, soul, mind, and spirit. You know, our voice is a physical thing. Our bodies uh, react whenever we sing. Uh, it engages our heart. It engages our mind. It engages our spirit even. So singing, uh, singing and worship is so much more than just singing words on a screen or, or making, making noise on stage with instruments. It's, it's something that really can be a very powerful, powerful thing for us. Back before COVID, we used to have these hymn books uh, sticking in the pews there. And I don't know, it's a, this is a great hymn book. Love the songs that are in here. And I don't know if you've ever read the foreword to a hymnal. Most of us don't. We just go to page number. But the foreword in this hymn book says, Our song is the one thing that we most commonly enjoy amid the broad diversity of our Christian traditions. We meet in, in different types of buildings on every continent. We set our tempo at varied paces, our tone at varied levels, but we all still meet on the common ground of song and often intersect at the precise point of even singing the same songs. Some of you have traveled further than Roxbury and Orstown. Uh, I've, been to, I've been to church services in Haiti, in uh, Argentina, in Brazil, in India, and every church service I've been to in all of those places included song. Everybody was singing, and there's a reason why, and it spans cultures, it spans time and place. And then the writer of this foreword, Jack Hayford, says, I wonder if we all realize how central our song is to the release of God's divine power within, among, and through us, the many-membered body of Christ's living church. And there's something that is so powerful about the song that we sing, and we just want to try to capture what that is and why that is and where where it's directed. Now, everything that we do at Grand Point must have its directive, it must have its foundation based in Scripture, in the Word of God. Otherwise, we have a good chance of getting it wrong. And I find it hard to actually read the Scriptures and not come away with the conclusion that singing and worship and adoration is what God wants from us. You know, we all have our preferences when it comes to worship, but I've realized that God has a preference as well. And God's preference is that when his people gather, we give him the praise and adoration that he deserves. That's his, pref- that, that, that's his preference. And I confess, I confess that as a church leader, sometimes we ask the very foolish, consumer-driven question, hey, what do people want? What do people want from church? And then we sit back as leaders, and we're like, okay, people want this, so we're going to give them this and this and this. I don't know about you, but if we would ask people what they want in song, man, we get a lot of varied responses. So I think maybe the better question 
rather than asking what do people want, is what does God want? What does God want from us? And that is a, a totally different response uh, in that. So what does God want in a church? Now, immediately, my mind would go to maybe, okay, the first of the Ten Commandments, God says, no other gods before me. He wants our attention, man. He wants our allegiance. He wants our worship because that's what you do to a God. You worship a God. And when God says, no other gods before me, he says, I want you to worship me and worship me only. And then I think kind of Jesus reiterated that in Matthew 22, which is a scripture that you referred to when it comes to worship. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? He responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That is full body, full body worship. Any other verses that maybe just kind of come to your mind, Chris, that you would base our, our worship on? One of, the, one of the things that I always come back to is the idea, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but just the idea of what worship looks like in heaven. So Revelation 4 is a huge passage for me where, you know, we see the elders and the creatures around the throne of heaven falling on their knees before him, just crying out, holy, 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 holy. Um, and we'll, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, but th- that's, that's a key scripture for me, you know, of just re- being reminded what, what the real heart of worship is, what, what real purity in worship looks like. Um, you know, when we talk about the idea of having no other gods before me, I mentioned this last night, but... Unfortunately, I think sometimes our, our worship experience can become what we worship rather than the God that we're supposed to be worshiping. Wow. You know, our preferences sometimes can be our, the thing that we focus on as our worship rather than God. And that's, that can be a danger. It can be an easy place to fall into, but it can be a very dangerous place to fall into as well. You opened a, you opened a service today with that amazing scripture reading from Psalm 29. And I couldn't help but notice a couple of repeated words in there, uh, the word ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then if you, if you read through the Psalms and you go to like Psalm 95, there's similar language. Psalm 96 says, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Because what is this talking about? I mean, talk about this idea of ascription. I mean, where does, that, where does that come in our service or in you planning a worship service? Where does this whole idea of ascription fit? Yeah, so I think ascription is really kind of the, the ultimate goal of our worship, right? Um, there's so many times that we can, we can sing stuff about God, that we can sing things about what he's done for us, and we need to do that. Um, but if we never move beyond that, then what we're saying is worship is really about us and what he's done for us. When really worship is about ascribing or um, declaring and giving all the worth and glory and honor to God that he deserves. That's what we're talking about when we talk about ascribing to God. It's, it's giving him everything that, that, that he is and that he's worth. Um, this comes back to, like, we've heard you use this term vertical yeah. worship different times. And, yeah. and I think that's, that direction is so important to remember here because sometimes we... we kind of focus on what's around us and what fits with our needs rather than verticals. That, that's the vertical worship, right? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I, I think when I, try to, when I try to think through a worship experience, like when we, when we do a service here this morning, um, I, I kind of look at that as a journey where the ultimate goal, like I said, is to hit that point of ascription or what I would call the vertical mark 
in our worship. And if you think of it as, as kind of a climbing a mountain, you know, that's the destination, but we've got to get there. So that's why we do sing songs that, that talk about what God has done, um, because it reminds us about who he is. Um, but like I said, if we never move past that point, we haven't really hit the apex of worship, which is that full vertical, full ascription idea. And as a worship leader, I've got to know where we're headed. Um, so whenever we package a, a service together, and I hate, even hate to use the word package, but um, everything is done with intention. It's not like we just put a bunch of songs together. They're like, oh, these will be fun to sing. Um, there, there's a reason behind the songs that we choose. If you even think about it in terms of like the tabernacle or the temple, there was an outer court, an inner court, and the holy of holies. There was this progression of worship. So whenever we and this isn't a, a 100% across the board every week kind of thing, but it's what we strive for, and sometimes we miss it. But we try to do, you know, maybe a gathering song that just draws people into the presence of God. Um, the song that we did this morning to start off with, Pure Exaltation, is kind of a, a mix of gathering and, and ascription, which is kind of a rare, a rare instance. But, you know, a song to draw people together, to point them to Jesus, then a, a songs that maybe speak about what he's done, what I would call testimony songs. And then to ultimately hit the vertical ascriptive, ascriptive songs, which we're going we're gonna to close our service with, with really throne room, throne room worship uh, here this morning. Yeah, so we want to get to that. I want to make sure we have plenty of time to do that. But, but here's what we want you to know, and, and I love this about Chris and, and his team. They really put their, their time and energy into the, these songs because it is not, as Chris said, it's not just a bunch of good songs that we throw together. There's an order uh, for them. One of the questions that I would like to ask today and answer is, why do we sing new songs? Uh, every once in a while, I hear people say, why don't we just sing the old songs that we know because they're more familiar, it's easier to sing, and I, I totally get that because sometimes learning new things is even hard uh, for me, but when it comes to this idea of worship, why new songs? I think, it's, I think we see it in Scripture. Um, I mean, if you look at Psalm 98, verse 1, it says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. And Psalm 30, 33, 40, 96, 98, 144, Isaiah 42, Revelation 5, all talk about singing a new song to the Lord. Um, you know, the thing is, is that when we think about our God, he's immeasurable, right? There, there is not enough songs in all creation that could ever capture all that he is. Um, and sometimes singing a new song is, you know, at the same time, I guess, let me say this, at the same time, there's nothing new that we can say either. Everything's already been kind of said in a, in a sense, but... There's always a new way to say it, a fresh way to say it, um, a way that maybe connects with people in a different way than it did before. So that's, that's why we do new songs. And at the same time, the old songs are just as important, too, because they have stood the test of time, and they hold some great truth. So, you know, and whether it's a, a hymn or an old song, um, like How Great Is Our God, you know, these are songs that people have connected with and that the church has grabbed onto, and there's great, you know, there's great value in, in old and new songs. Yeah, so singing is not just some kind of a religious duty that we do before the sermon and after the sermon. Uh, there's, there's a reason why we do that. Singing is always, and, and a song is always in a response to what God has done. So here's the deal. If God is always working and always revealing himself and growing us up in him, then we continue to write and give new expressions of, of that story. Uh, good story comes not from theory. 
good story comes from experience. So if, if you are experiencing God moving and growing in your life, then there's new expressions uh, that, that come from that. I love the scripture in John chapter 21, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but uh, John writes, or, or the writer says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, about what Jesus is doing and saying, and who had written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, the, the work of God is so much more than, than what's contained in, in one little compilation of hymns, right? God is, I mean, these, these hymns are the ones that have stood the test of time. They tell about God's goodness, but there's, there's more, right? As Chris said, there's even different expressions to it. So new songs are constantly being, being written as, as well. The Village Church makes a statement like this, and I love it. It says, the quick and easy answer to why we sing new songs is that what God has done in Christ through the Spirit is a wonderful, all-inspiring, glorious, deep thing. Christ died in our place for our sins, and that fact can be celebrated and sung into eternity without us ever fully exhausting the beauty of it. So constantly new expressions, a new song will still never capture what, what God has done for us. Um, one of the things that um, uh, I, I want to just kind of say, too, there's, I don't know if you remember over in Ephesians chapter 5, there's that scripture that begins by saying, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When Paul wrote that, he was in Ephesus, and Ephesus had all these godly or, or ungodly pagan worship rituals, and there were actually pagans who would use wine or, or strong drink as a means of becoming more intoxicated because that would draw them closer to their gods. So Paul is kind of writing in response to that and saying, listen, don't get drunk with wine, but then he doesn't say, it's interesting, he doesn't say, but, but kind of be temporal with it, you know, or, or drink responsibly. He doesn't say that, but he says, be filled with the Spirit, which is kind of a, an unusual contrast to being drunk with wine. But in that context, he says, as you're filled with the Spirit, address one another, now, this is kind of a horizontal thing. Now, we talked a lot about vertical. When we worship, we address God. But I want you to see that singing is also has a spiritual impact across uh, the board here. So it says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, again, how he defines our singing. Hymns, man, those are the, the, the instruction, the theology, the exaltation that's written in them. But spiritual songs actually talks about the spontaneous singing in the spirit. And then he also mentions psalms, which is actually singing the scripture. So there's a couple different ways that song is, is created for us. And I believe this outline here is what we try to do here at Grand Point. We sing a variety of, of music and song to try to capture that. And then making melody actually comes from the word which means to play a stringed instrument. So there you go. Those are you and guitar. You got it. You're in the Bible, right? So, so making melody is, is just bringing it out through instrument uh, as well as our voices. So I think, I think the, the new song is, is 
you know, we kind of, kind of answered that question. And one final question. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with this, and then we're going to do some worship. We're going to do some exaltation. But, Chris, I'm going to ask you this question. What do you say to the person who doesn't like to sing? I, I remember a guy from my, my previous church, man, he hated singing. He's like, you don't want to hear me sing. So for some of you farmers, you might, you might identify with this, but he says, when I sing, I sound like a cow with his head in the bucket just bawling, right? So it's just kind of, you can Google that if you don't know what that means, but but some of you don't like to sing, and you're like, you know what, I, 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 don't, I don't need to sing. And, and even for those that are watching online, I know when I was at home watching online, the whole time we were there, I found it very hard to sing. I, it was much easier for me just to observe rather than participate. So what do you say to those people that are watching online today uh, that maybe just don't feel comfortable singing, or it's awkward to do that, or the spouse is saying, hey, don't, don't sing, right, you know, and, or that kind of thing. So how, how do we respond to that yet? I think the first thing I would say is, you know, the thing we've got to understand is that worship is obviously more than just singing, right? It's really a position of our heart. It's really about where our heart is, where our focus is. Um, so I, we can't say that, that if you don't sing, you're not worshiping. However, there is something, and we've already talked about this, there is something about singing, and there's something about engaging with worship. And you're right, it is very difficult. I, I found it very difficult, even as a worship leader, found it very difficult to really engage in worship, you know, through a screen. Um, but I think as you're at home, the, the key scripture that I would point to is what we just read, where it says, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. So even if you're not singing out, out loud in your, in your living room, I think your heart can still be filled with song and can still be engaged. Um, there's a, there's a guy's name, Zach Neese, and we did a, a study with our worship team here um, that talks about the idea of worship, and he says that, that worship is really love plus lordship plus expression. So it's recognizing that we love God, it's recognizing that he is Lord, that we submit to him, and then it's expressing that to him. So, you know, we talk about, again, our heart, soul, mind, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our heart being our affections and our passions, our soul being our will, our dreams, our personality, our mind being our thoughts and imaginations and our strength being our actions, the things we do with our hands, the things we do with our feet. Um, and he says this, and, and this caught me so off guard, but I love it. He says, love without lordship or submission is just empty emotionalism. Lordship without love is dead religion and legalism. And expression without love or lordship is hypocrisy. So it's finding a balance between those things. You know, um, if we come and we just sing with our head and our heart doesn't really engage, we're not really worshiping. If we sing and all we engage is our heart and not our mind thinking about the theology that we're singing, then we've, we're just kind of empty emotionalism. And if all we do is express but we don't live out the lordship of Christ in our lives, then we're just living a life of hypocrisy. And that, that was something that I thought, man, that is, that is such a, a, a powerful statement. And he says this also, he says, Jesus wants an expressive bride. And I love that idea as well. You know, those of you that have been married for a long time, if your spouse never expressed their love for you, what would that do? Would you consider marrying them again? For those of you that are engaged, if you're, you know, your person that you're engaged to, your fiance, that's the word, if they never expressed love to you, would you consider marrying them? 
And I think Jesus looks at us and he says, I want you guys to be expressive in your worship, whatever that looks like. For some of us, it might be jumping up and down or running in circles or raising our hands or getting on our face or knees or clapping our hands or singing loudly. But whatever our expression is, he wants it to be done passionately with great love and great excitement for him. Um, For those that say, I can't sing, I would just point you to Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise. It doesn't say make a pretty noise. There we go. You know, so there was a kid in my youth group when I was on youth ministry that couldn't sing a note, but he was the most passionate worshiper I've ever seen. You could hear his voice above everybody else. The person beside him didn't necessarily like it, but Jesus (laughs) loved it. And uh, and that's kind of what I think of when I think of make a joyful noise. You know, so even if you can't sing, you can still make a joyful noise. There's a scripture in Colossians that says, let us admonish one another as we sing together. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do that here as we wrap this up. But um, would you join me in thanking Chris for being a worship leader here at Grand Point? Appreciate that. And uh, we're, we're going to just go in some adoration before the Lord. We're going to sing that great hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. And uh, we're going to worship him. We're just going to uh, proclaim his worthiness as we wrap this up today. So there's three more songs to come. Listen, if we're running late and you need to leave, feel free to do that. But let's just all stand together. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to just spend the remainder of our time in, in complete adoration to our Lord. God, I thank you today that you are worthy. You're worthy of receiving everything that we can give to you, and we're going to do our best right now just to exalt you, to give our adoration to you, to show you just how much we, we, uh, you are worthy to us. And God, I know all of this falls short. All of our expressions fall short, but we want to be that expressive bride at this moment as we declare your holiness, as we declare your worthiness. Name, amen. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us for the next message in our Teach Us to Pray series. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at grandpoint.church, and until next time, remember that you belong here.